All right, man. Welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio. This is episode 244. Jason Lingren is with me, and we've got Athen Kamenti back, who is a sidereal astrologer. For those who don't know, uh, basically, it's the idea of looking up and calculating from the sky that you physically see over your head, and not calculating away from what you see over your head. Uh, anyhow, welcome, Jason. And good morning, Crow. How goes it, man? It's a beautiful day. How about you? Ah, it's been nice, but it's been sticky, and now we're getting sticky again. Um, so I don't, I don't have AC in my house, so I notice these things. <laughs> but anyhow, uh, do we got anything, or do you just want to jump? Let's jump. All right, man. Welcome back, Athen. Hey, thanks, guys. Great to be back. So you're kind of, uh, well, I don't know if I'll, I'll say stuck, kind of stuck down in Portugal, huh, since all this beer bug nonsense kicked up. Yeah, luckily stuck, yeah. Normally, we'd be here for three months. But they keep extending everyone's visas. So we'll be here for almost a year now since October. Pretty nice. Do you have any sense of when that's going to peter out? Could keep extending it. I mean, right now it's, yeah, mid October, but we'll see. I mean, I'll just stay as long as they let me without having to pay taxes, basically. (laughs) The silver lining in nonsense. (laughs) Anyhow. So before we got on, um, we were kind of talking about the ages, uh, probably what I consider to be the oldest reckoning that I'm aware of is the, uh, the Vedic ideas, or maybe even calling them Hindu ideas. I'm not sure, but everybody knows what part of the world I'm talking about, have the longest reach backwards, which is a bit ironic because you will be told there are really not much written record for India. Which, how can that be? They had Sanskrit, all these other things. And I think how that can be is because of the British Empire. I think that's why. I think a lot of stuff got scuttled or taken or Lord only knows. My point being, the ages are an important thing. And it seems to be one of the most guarded bits of information. I mean, literally, of all the things I've ever tried to get at, determining when an age change happens. Uh, You'll hear everybody tell you this, that, and the other thing, not being able to demonstrate it, simply adopting some other person's idea or something they've read. But what I've read is it's demonstrable. And in some of the oldest texts I've been able to get a hold of, and actually one that I had translated out of Sanskrit when I was in San Diego, uh, the numbers that are involved always sum to nine in the large cycles, apparently. Um, The idea of the procession of the equinoxes, as we just talked about. So the sun moves an apparent degree every 72 years. Well, seven and two is nine. So to me, that holds water. It matches these older ideas. But when is the age change? Right now, you got a bunch of people telling you, we're in Aquarius. Uh, I don't accept it. I know you don't accept it because we look up at what we see and we're still firmly in Pisces. But there is a transitory period um, in the Kali Yuga ideas or the Yuga ideas, which I think are much longer periods of time. And they get larger as you cycle through uh, going up. Anyhow, I think if I have that right. But there's the idea that there's a 100 or a 200 year transition. So if we set aside the idea of Aquarius, because people just argue about it, basically adopting a thing they can't prove. For me, we use the sky that we can see. So at least... If we're wrong, we based it on something we could see. Um, But that brings us to the idea of the Iron Age. These ideas, maybe, I don't know, did that start in Egypt or is it wholly Western? I don't know. I don't recall. Bronze, iron, silver, gold. Uh, As you go up, the idea of the Golden Age would be this perfect age that you've heard in myth and these other things associated with Saturn, usually. 
point is, as I've put on the table that I suspect we're coming to the end of the Iron Age. And I know that doesn't jive with sidereal, but what do you think, Athen? Does it feel like we're coming to the end of the age at the low point of the sun this year in the Great Conjunction? Uh, well, yeah. So if you use the Western perspective, which is uh, seeing where the sun is during uh, the spring equinox, uh, the sun is still very well set in Pisces. And if you do the math in terms of you know that one degree every 72 years, then you'll arrive at us entering the age of Aquarius still at least 700, well, we'll say minimum 600 years from now, if you take that kind of 100-year transitionary period. So it's still definitely well set in Pisces. We can talk about how some of the Aquarian type of stuff has come out and why technically with the astrology. Um, but I think it definitely is an age of you know finding more peace and spirituality and you know having a more receptive approach to life, essentially. Well, I've had some people recently say, oh, well, you guys got it all wrong. It's not where the sun is at the spring equinox. It's the rising sign. Um, so people go at it all these other ways. For my part, what I've read the most often and the most varied across different traditions is the spring equinox is the marker. Um, but again, you know, just because I've read it in the most places is the reason I'm adopting it. Still, I can't prove it, right? Uh, I'm choosing that I have the most evidence for this thing. But let's take a look at the ideas you're about to express. And by the way, Aquarius would be a, a, an air sign. Most people think it's a water sign. We're currently in a water sign. So let's think about what's happened while we've been in the water sign of Pisces. We basically mastered water, haven't we? Uh, the steam engine, the sailing ship, all these modes of energy and movement for human beings that have to do with water, I would estimate that we probably mastered the steam engine maybe before we even got into the 1900s or soon after. Anyhow, I'm just guessing. But think of all the sailing ships. They got better and better and better and better until we started getting up to the era of planes. Um, so that mastery of the water idea, to me, implies that we must be getting ready to get to the other side of that age. Uh, what do you think about that, Athan? Yeah, I mean, definitely getting ready. I mean, Pisces is a huge constellation. So the average amount of time that we'll spend in an age is 2,000 years. Uh, we've already been in Pisces for more than 2,000 years now. Um, but because it is larger, yeah, so if we're looking at the visible sky, then there's still a ways to go. I think as we approach the end of Pisces, I think um, that's really when the split will happen in a sense, because if we look back to the last time we transitioned ages, which was for the West during the fall of the Roman Empire, um, that was coming out of the age of Aries. And so Aries is, you know, war and like more about ego and independence and identity. And that was definitely going on in the West. Obviously, we always have war and we always have these fiery things, but we can definitely see the transition into the water realms around that time. So when Christianity came out, we went into the Dark Ages. Um, things were much more uncertain. It was more about you know finding inner peace, having to accept things, let things go, and um, you know at the end of the day, um, you know connect to that what's important to us on a soul level. And I think that's what's going on. I think that's why there's so much confusion and uncertainty. Really, is the collective you know theme as it has been. When we get closer to Aquarius, there will be the fork. There will be those that want to stay in the Pisces realm, just like there, there were those that wanted to stay in the Aries realm, like the Roman Empire, the government themselves. And then that's going to create a split where that system's going to slowly end. And then we're going to go into the new system 
with Aquarius. And Aquarius will be definitely about freedom. Um, it will be about real innovation. We've seen a lot of innovation, um, which we'll talk about because, like I said, there's some parallels with that. Um, but that's really when we'll start to enter into what is the air age of Aquarius, which will be about ideals, visions, technology, innovation, and fundamentally just more like individual freedom and sovereignty. Well, just to put a fine point on it for people who think this is hocus pocus, you can still see remnants of the age of Aries. Is anyone aware of a religion that still blows the ram's horn from that period of time? See where I'm going here? Before that, it would have been the bull. Um, the bullfight is probably a remnant of the age of the bull all this time later. Um, in, in Egypt, you can see representational statues, so I don't accept, accept the story, nor do I accept the story of the Dark Ages. I think that's in, in been in, you know, uh, pressed on us. Um, for a Dark Ages to have been real, it would have had to have been worldwide, and that's not the case even in the admitted timeline. Um, but what we actually see is this idea that somehow we're in a Dark Ages and all of a sudden people are making cathedrals. Um, it doesn't wash. What's actually happened is our history has been erased, and this brings us to the crux of what you and I are talking about, Athen, trying to determine how do we get back to, to knowing something about the long cycles of time, which are so critically important. Um, and it's, it's all been so purposefully messed with. Not too long ago, I was mistakenly saying we can't trust the 12 zodiac signs, and the reason was because I said, look, this sign, this balance, the Libra was added in. I can prove it. And people kept telling me, no, you're high. And everyone denied and said, what do you, what do you want about? And so I went and I got this, I'm near one of the oldest libraries in the country. So I called them up and I said, hey, man, do you got any old sky maps? And they said, yeah, we got some really old sky maps. So I went and got them. I posted them in the forum. Everybody in the forums, all you're right. It got added in. So I lost trust because everyone's saying no, no, no. And I'm saying, I don't care if you say no, I can prove this was added. But then as I kept at it, I found out why. The claim is, and I accept it at this point, that there were 10 signs in a previous age because that's all that was required. As we came into the current age where we are, three signs were made out of one, giving us Virgo, the balance, which is jammed in between the scorpion and the and the virgin and the scorpion. And as you probably can better delineate than I can. The Virgin, in some ways, uh, everything's polar in our world, right? But on the face of it, the Virgin is that virginal idea. The balance is that equilibrium idea. Now, the Scorpion, very few people understand, is polar for a reason. Um, it can be the lofty eagle or it can be the Scorpion. Most people think, well, it was once an eagle was that sign. It's not the case. What is the case is that scorpion represents sex. Even if you line the zodiac up on the body, scorpion will always align with the genitals. I've shown over and over that in movies, um, when you see the scorpion or the idea of that sign implied, it's always about genitals or it's always about sexual congress. Now, the idea here is that in our age, sex was going to become very important, which at one point I stopped and said, has anyone taken the time to think about why men have nipples? And it seems a ridiculous thing to say, but has anyone taken the time? This is the crux of what I'm getting at. So when I began to realize that it was admitted that they changed it, then I started to feel better because it's not just a lie. Um, then when I started getting the reasons for the change, I began to realize that sex has a lot to do with our common age, particularly now where porn is mainstreamed everywhere across the world where there's an internet connection. The idea being the virgin, 
the sexual idea of the scorpion and the balance in the middle. That's the crux of it. But I figured I'd bring that up with you, Athen, because last time we talked, I was still on the fence thinking, why won't anyone admit the Zodiac was changed? But now I've come past that. I accept the 12 signs that we have, not necessarily the borders. And maybe we should talk about that. But what do you think about all those ideas I just laid down? Do you find them shocking or what do you think? Oh, I mean, that's what Scorpio represents, right? Sexuality and, and deep stuff and trust and intimacy, all that. But yeah, I come from the belief that, you know, it really doesn't matter uh, what we call them or where we draw the lines or how we connect those dots of the stars. The important thing is, is that we notice certain patterns happen when planets, for example, are in those locations. And that's the most important thing. You know, when, like you're saying, balance. So like when a planet actually goes into what we call Libra nowadays, it is about balance. Whether you want to see it as part of Virgo or, you know, something else, you know, to me, I think the most important thing is to see that this is, these are the patterns we've seen when the planets are in these parts of the sky and these patterns are repeating. And so every time it happens, we can confirm that, okay, this part of the sky represents this sort of thing. Just like you can divide up a constellation into as many parts as you want. Like you could use the, you could see how the feet of Virgo is very different from the head of Virgo, for example. So when planets go through the feet, you know, it represents a different type of energy than the head. So you could divide it up. You could say there's actually two constellations there. You could say there's an infinite number of constellations. You know, it's all about how you divide it. You're referring to the, like the Deccan idea, right? Right, right, exactly. But even just the idea of fixed stars and like we were talking about in the first show, how, you know, these stars, like when planets get near other stars, that has significance, you know. So the different stars of Virgo, for example, have different energy. So where that planet is in that location is going to be very different from where it is in another part of that constellation, you know. And I think as long as we recognize what those patterns are, when those planets or luminaries go into those locations, I think that's the most important thing in that sense. I, I like where you're going and I agree with you all day long in the day-to-day -day use of saying what's over my head and evaluating in that way. But here's the problem. There, we're human beings. We should have a vast grasp of this place. The idea of a higher human being is to be almost all-knowing at some point. So how do you mark an age if we don't have a zodiacal boundary? If, if we didn't have some kind of a zodiacal idea, it becomes much more difficult to determine what's going on at the equinox or something like that. I suppose we could pick a star, <laughs> but that... That gets you see where I'm going here um, because the value of the zodiac to me is maybe less important when you get into the small cycle of time called a year because people like you do sidereal and I'm with you but the loss of that information or the setting aside of it because you don't know what to do with it or you know it's been changed or people are making calculations you don't agree with to get away from what's actually over your head in a year to me um, the impact is not as severe. Now, when you go out 26,000 years, when you go out five times that amount of time, it becomes critically important. And the other reason is because if you look at the names of stars, some of them have changed over time. Many of them come to us from the Middle East. There are other examples that you can see. But even if you look at the modern constellations, we have 88 of them now. Many of those are modern, which shows that it changes. But that zodiac... That zodiac goes back. So I guess where I'm going here, Athen, is how would we begin to mark an age if we either didn't trust where the boundaries were or decided to operate without it? 
Yeah, again, it's, it's the energy, right? So Pisces, what we've noticed is that every time a planet goes into this, what we call Pisces, there's a certain kind of energy and it deals with this watery kind of a thing. If something goes into Libra, for example, we see the same pattern, whether you want to see Libra as part of Virgo and it just being a later part of Virgo that represents that or a completely different constellation. I mean, you could just call it a dog or something, connect the dots in that sense. But as long as the symbolism matters, right? So my point is that the what you call it and the name, the concept, or what you're using to communicate it doesn't matter as much as the essential meaning. So what is actually the essence of what's going on when something's in that location, right? A good example is Scorpio, like you're saying, it used to be you know, considered the eagle. This all deals with transformation, right, and deep things. So whether it's the eagle because that's the phoenix rising out of the ashes, or if it's Scorpio because it's diving deep into things, you know, again, the symbolism is what's important. And we have noticed these patterns of symbolism, you know, when these luminaries go into these particular parts of the sky, is my point. So so not so much what we call it or where we, how we, you know, where we group it necessarily, as much as we understand the essential meaning of what that part of the sky represents. I agree with that, but the problem becomes, you know, then you wake up one day and say, I'm sensing this kind of an energy, but that doesn't give you a divider. And it also doesn't give you the ability to look forward like, oh, in a hundred years, we're going to be changing ages. But to get back to the scorpion idea, this is what I wholly accept. And the reason that I accept things in the way that I accept this is not just from a broad bunch of research, but I'll, I'll, I'll show you a little bit. I've related it to things that are completely unrelated per se to astrology. From my point of view, the scorpion and the uh, eagle, which by the way, think of all the other signs. How come the polarity of the other signs isn't common knowledge? And that has to do with sex. And sex is a massive, always has been a massive part. How the genders treat each other. Um, you know, every, I don't even have to outline it. Everybody knows that sex is a big deal in our age and it has been as far back as we can remember. The idea that I accept currently for the scorpion becoming the eagle is when you overcome your animal passions. You're basically your sexual drive. Then you become the lofty eagle. And there is so much that went into this that I could get to a point where I accepted it. And I'll give you an example. Did you know, I think it's French. Um, you, know what they, you know what their meaning for an orgasm is? They call it the tiny death or the small death. In older traditions, masturbation was demonstrated by the scorpion because a scorpion, they used to say, if you put a scorpion in a ring of fire, it'll go around till it realizes it can't escape and it'll sting itself to death. Um, there's the, the representational idea of masturbation in three ways. One is from a language that calls an orgasm the small death, implying that every time you have one, you've just died a little bit. The other one is representational of the animal of the sign showing that it stings itself um, and that protrubance, you know, protrubance being a bit like the phallus. So we can get to the meaning as closely as we can, but it, for me, it just doesn't solve the problem. When we look at the world and I see what's encoded, there was a time when I tried to logic it out and I, I, I've been, I'm so far down the road now that I can just sense um, this is going on. And I don't always get what I want to know, but what I do know certainly is the biggest events in the world with the most minds paying attention are always utilized the most to program, to pre-echo, to do these things. What's bigger than the Marvel movies? And this is what had got me thinking about the Age of Iron. The Marvel movies was a 22-movie run. 
biggest franchise of all time. So many tentacles going out to other superhero movies. It's it's insane what they did there. But 22 is the master builder number. So those 22 movies are already indicating something's going on here. They were made over an 11-year period. Do we need to talk about ones and nines? 11 being directly related to the cycle of the sun, 19 or 1 and 9 being the metonic cycle of the moon. So whether anyone wants to accept it, I knew certainly that where we are was being encoded in the biggest run of movies, maybe one of the most popular run of movies of all time. Most eyeballs looking, most minds involved. It opened with Iron Man, hint, 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 all the stuff that goes on. I won't get into the minutiae. And then it ends with Iron Man dying and saving the world. And I begin to realize this is an encode for an age. Um, but not only is it an encode for an age, it's matching what we're experiencing. In one of those movies, and I didn't watch all of them, but they're purposefully before the beer bug going over emptied stadiums and empty, you know, showing, oh, half the world's gone. Look, everything's closed. It's a pre-echo. It's mirroring our time. So this is how I understand the things are going on and why I wanted to bring it up with you, Athan, um, to see if, if you had any way to get there. Because as far as I know, using a movie, you know, there could be, there, there's absolutely a there there, but it's not precise in the way that I think we deserve to understand um, that, you know, we're not talking when I'm talking about iron, it's not the Aquarius Pisces thing. That's a much smaller period of time. Um, the Iron Age would be a much larger period of time. And the promise of the end of whatever age we're in is that we're going up now, which is indicated in the consciousness rise that we've seen since, I don't know, the year 2000 or thereabouts. Like A lot of people like to say 2012, whatever, the new millennium. And I always make the pun um, uh, consciousness is rising for everything. How many bulldogs have you seen grab a skateboard and go use it on a ramp like it's supposed to? Even the dog's consciousness is rising because if that dog did that in the 70s, that would have been a world-famous dog. And now it's commonplace. But this is why I think it's critically important, Athen. And from my part, I guess I just don't understand how we can ever project for an age unless we have the markers defined in some way that matters. Yeah, I mean, I totally you know value the divisions um in in the sense like you can divide it up into one degree you can divide it up into two the most important thing is is like when we look up at the sky like we don't see these actual lines connecting the stars and we certainly don't see the boundaries right good point yeah so it's very important that if we are going to use these man-made systems to contextualize these symbols that we are referencing that symbolic representation of the constellation so like absolutely like an eagle or a scorpion are great symbols for that part of the sky no doubt but i think we connected the dots the the luminaries to reflect that so i think the natural essence is the underlying symbolism the meaning and then our job is to try to conceptualize it and i'm all for conceptualizing it as long as we maintain that sort of objective view of the sky and what it means when certain luminaries go into these locations. Cause that's all we have to reference. Like you said, like I'm not for just subjectively like, Oh, so Pisces can mean fire or it can mean these other things. Like I don't believe that at all. I think the objective thing is what are the patterns that are repeating when there's certain things entering these parts of the sky. And this has been going on for thousands of years, which is why we have astrology. 
astrology wasn't just like invented. It's basically been an ongoing science and art of referencing certain people with, with luminaries in these locations, certain events with luminaries in these locations, and then extrapolating these concepts from that. So as long as we're doing that and referencing the sky in that sense, then yeah, I mean, absolutely. We obviously need, you know, constellation boundaries. We could certainly use constellations to help conceptually describe the symbolism underlying that part of the sky. Uh, but I think the most important thing is that we, we do reference these patterns that we've been noticing when things happen in these locations. And that to me is the most important thing whether you call it whatever animal or whatever symbol is, like whatever you contextualize it as, as long as you get to that essential meaning, I think that's the most important thing. And again, it's like going outside, you look up, like we were talking about last time, like, like Antares, like you can feel it, you can see it. It's, it's visually represent, represented. The heart and, of the scorpion you're referring to. Right, right. And it's very obvious that when luminaries pass over this part of the sky, you know, it's very deep, it's very intense, just like the luminary looks, Antares. You know, so yeah, that could be the heart of the bird. That could be any concept we could derive from that as long as we maintain that essential meaning, which is what we have for thousands of years of astrology, luckily still. We're still uncovering it, obviously, but you know, still, you know, creating new perspectives from it. But yeah, I think uh, objectively observing and then seeing what comes out of these observations and then contextualizing it. See, but I think that underscores the problem. Um, as we fell through the age that we just fell through, and I'm using that language on purpose, we've come to a time where nobody can trust anything. All these people are telling lies that are provably lies um, and acting like they're true and enforcing them as if they're true, and everybody's fed up. Uh, everyone's saying, well, what the hell in this world can you actually believe in? And that's part of the end, in my view, of the fallen age. But my point would be, the history we're handed wants to tell us that many thousands of years ago, the Chaldeans had knocked out the sky clock to the point where they could do it to the second, not just the degree, the second they'd been observing for so many thousands of years. And herein lies the problem. How is it that Athen Kementi doesn't have access to that knowledge in the year 2020? And that underscores the lies that have been told. That underscores the idea that we're told all the time, uh, space is this way. So much of it provably not. How about the comet thing that's been going on? Since 2000, I've been saying comets aren't green. We just had another one. What do they say? They say what they said every time. Ison was, was going to be the big comet to end all comets. It wasn't there. I took my camera out when it was supposed to be within degrees of the star Regulus in Leo, which is a bright blue star. You cannot miss it. I centered up my wide field, opened up the lens for five minutes, and it was not there. And all these people started emailing me. Goes, yes, it is. Here's an image I found here. I said, where's the image you took, bucko? Because I know what I'm doing here, and I can't locate it. And I'm using exposure photography to wide field that I still can't find it. And they were claiming this was going to be the comet of the century. So there's more lies for you. Then this other one comes along. I still have it posted where I did the same thing. Couldn't find it. Couldn't find it. They're saying, oh, it's going to be naked eye, naked eye. It never makes naked eye. They never do naked eye for the most part. Uh, I did the same thing. I wide field it, and there was a green smudge doesn't look like a comet. I've seen comets. I know what a comet looks like. Um, comets are white, by the way, up until the year 2000. You might detect blue or yellow if you were using some kind of film to exposure them back in the day. Otherwise, they are white. 
even with a snapshot, click snap, they're white. So then we come up to this last nonsense, Neil Wise. Oh, this is going to be the best thing since Hale Bop. Well, I got news for everybody. I got my first big scope right before Hale Bop came. And this is what I learned. I was so excited. I had a big old eight inch fully robotic scope. I'm going to go out and see a damn comet that I can see with my eyes. This is exciting. I get it in the eyepiece and it's like, oh my God, this is the worst view of anything I've ever seen. So I'm thinking, how can this be? I've got an eight inch scope and I go back to reading and all the books are telling me, well, clearly comets, the best view you can get is with your naked eye or with binoculars, which is actually true by the way. But how can that be if that thing's so many light years or, you know, the distances they want it to, it doesn't wash. So then from that comet forward, I have not seen another normal comet per se. Now this Neil Wise one was the same thing. It was supposed to be this big special one, best one since Hale Bop. And I, I put it out to the followers. Anyone gets a picture, show me if it's green. I'm saying no way. And sure enough, it never, maybe some people might have begun to detect it naked eye, but for the most part, it didn't get anywhere near it said it went away so quickly that it was 34th magnitude in like, I don't know, a day or two, it went away so quickly. And here come the images from people who shot it firsthand. It's green. So this is part of my problem. All the lies that get proffered, including the closure of the world. There's not a, a shred of truth behind what's going on here, and everybody knows it. And if we talk about it, we're threatened with censorship and all these other things. But underneath all this crap we contend with, everybody knows that nothing is trustable from authority anymore. And to me, that is another indicator that we have to be at the end of an age. Because how long can you operate where everyone looks at the people who are supposed to be in charge throwing salt over their shoulder? Because they know every word out of their mouth is nonsense. But that's why I brought up the whole thing. And maybe we should just shift gears. Um, while I've got you, you've been studying the sky for a long time. As we came into what I marked the day as, <laughs> March 11, you always got to get your 11 in there, is when we felt the first repercussions of the world's about to close. Uh, what were you sensing in the sky or seeing in the sky that led into this? Did you see things that correlate? Talking about at the beginning of this year? Yeah, March 11, 2020 is where I mark where, for lack of a word I don't like, ground zero occurred for us was on the 3rd of March. Oh. The beginning yeah. the beginning of the nonsense we're living through now. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, personally, I see it as it was the whole early part of this year because it was kind of staggered, like depending on where you were in the world. Like obviously, you know, for China, it started to affect them sooner. Uh, for us in Europe, it was a little bit sooner than the States, for example. Um, and what was going on at that time was what we talked about in the last show, which is that Saturn-Pluto conjunction. And so we were talking about how that was going to be, first of all, restructuring of the systems, which you've definitely seen. And then that this whole year is really about perception and the power of perception and that there might be a lots of control to that perception. And I think that's what's fundamentally going on. Like, I don't think it's about the beer bug per se, like as a physical thing. I think it's really about using that uh, in a way to control perception this year, because like I said, like this year, the outcome of what the global perception is, has a huge influence for our future. And I think that's really what we've seen from the beginning of the year um, is this whole transformation to our perception. And, you know, hopefully um, out of this, a lot of us are seeing the truth and, you know, seeing things for how they are, not just receiving things like you said from authorities and just information that we can't reference 
but instead, you know, actually seeing what we truly believe, like what are we actually perceiving? What are we actually experiencing? And then basing our reality and our perception on that versus what we see in the media or whatever is being fed to us. I think that's fundamentally, astrologically, what this year is about. Um, and I think that's when it all started was the beginning of the year with that Saturn-Pluto conjunction. Well, I'm glad you used that reference because I can use it to show you more nonsense from authority. Right after that fateful day in 2001, not long after, what did they do? They took the whole world to focus them on Pluto and said, guess what? Pluto doesn't matter anymore. It's not a planet. It's insignificant. Don't look at Pluto. But the people who pay attention always knew Pluto was critical. And so what you just did is pointed out that Pluto and Saturn, in the context of what was going on in the sky clock, was an important thing to watch. Yet the whole world's perception that doesn't know any better, their idea of Pluto is it doesn't matter anymore. It's some dust particle. It's too small to be a planet. It's insignificant. And in fact, what happened was so many people began to connect Pluto with that fateful day in 2001 um, that it was demoted. Uh, I can still remember Neil, my you-know-what Tyson, going out around the world to help demote a planet of all things. You know, we all grew up in school, nine planets. There's nine planets. And all of a sudden, one day, the guy who runs the New York, hint, 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 astronomy center um, decides to go on the road with the rest of his little crew there and demote a planet. And yet, what you've pointed out is the biggest change in the life of anyone alive now Pluto and Saturn opened up that year. Yeah. Is there any uh, indication where things are going with the entirety of the beer bug phenomenon with the way the energy is flowing from when it started to what it's looking like as things go on? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's pretty much like what we were talking about in the last show. We have this eclipse coming up at the end of the year, December 14th. That's going to be in the constellation of what we call Fucus, which is a serpent bearer, uh, which deals with healing essentially. I think that there's going to be a push to use that energy as there was already to change perception this year uh, to institute some kind of medical system, let's call it, in the sense that it's probably medicine will be much more tied to governments in that sense. So we were talking in the last show that it could be a vaccine. I still think that it's probably going to be that around that time. Again, I don't use astrology for firm predictions, but it'll be something like that. And because Saturn and Jupiter are getting together with that uh, great conjunction we were talking about as well, I do see that coming into the system, like into the governments, into new foundations and systems. So the actual transformation in terms of like our perception, that's still going on for the rest of the year. So that's, again, very important. But at the end of the year, with all these things converging, like the eclipse and the grand conjunction, um, it seems like there's definitely some new beginnings because conjunctions or new beginnings are like new moons. And that's what, you know, the eclipse is as well in this case. And so um, definitely some new things arising. I think it's very much going to be medical because of the fucus healing energy. And then also with uh, Jupiter expanding the systems and structures and new beginnings with that. And again, we see this from patterns, right? So this is last time we had those conjunctions. We've seen this recurring kind of a theme and tying it into the context of this year. I think it's probably going to be something along those lines. Again, I'm not making any firm predictions that I'm not trying to like, scare anybody or induce fear or anything like that but it just wouldn't surprise me if there was some sort of new medical releasing because they'll probably use that time to do that because it's supposed to be what's supposed to be is a time of doing healing ourselves actual healthy healing you know nature and rest and meditation and things like this but i think they'll probably use it in the medical industry you know to start something new signaling medicine 
And with the beer bug, I'm sure it probably has something to do with that. So people know um, that we're living in a cyclical world. Uh, the great conjunction, which is a conjunction of Saturn and Jupiter, will happen on the winter solstice, which is a massive deal because the winter solstice could arguably be one of the most important sky clock events that happens every year. In a sense, you could almost think of it, the sun's going to die and the programming for that year ending with it and the new year you know, it's going to rise three days later with the new program. That's a lot of people won't like how I described it, but for the average person, you could think of it in that way because it really is a critically important. That's why our most important holiday Christmas is there, right? Everybody knows Christmas is not about what they told you Christmas is about, right? It's about materialism for us. If you want to be honest, my point here is we just had Dave J on talking about the metonic cycle. Um, that's 19 year lunar cycle. Dave J's contention is, is that's coming to an end in September. Hint, 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 19 years after 2001, hint, hint, hint. The last time we saw the great conjunction once in a generation, roughly 20 years, that happened right before we got into 2001. And here we are. And by the way, for people who don't know much about the metonic cycle, and by the way, it's why the ones and nines are everywhere. It's about lunar and solar cycles. The lunar is 19, the one that we found matters that they keep using, and the solar 11. But to get back to the point, there's solar eclipses, which by the way, I have proven, undeniably proven, has nothing to do with the moon. It has to do with the nodes that used to be called Ketu and Rahu. In our astrology, they're basically called North and South Node, I think. Point is is those solar eclipses are tied to the metonic cycle because what they figured out is every 19 years after a solar eclipse, another solar eclipse happens at the same, is it longitude or latitude? I think it's latitude. I might have that backwards, but this is critical because we just had a solar eclipse at the height of the power of the sun on the summer solstice. We're going to have another solar eclipse tied to the metonic cycle. We suspect which we suspect is ending in September, hint, 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 seven days before we go into the Great Conjunction at the low point of the sun. Again, arguably the most important sky clock event that happens every single year. So, Athen, if we think about everything I just said, what would you expect the energy, like if you're going to interpret the energies that would happen on a Great Conjunction, Saturn and Jupiter becoming conjunct on the low point of the sun, how would you describe that? Yeah, I mean, just how you just described it. So it's a series of new beginnings, you know, also at the solstice. Um, to me, that's the beginning of the year because, like you said, that's when things start rising again. So it's like ending, completion, and that's where the new year should be marked, in my opinion. So all of this is, you know, really pointing towards the same thing. The eclipses being on there is definitely significant, you know? Yep, yep. And that coinciding with the Grand Conjunction, it just, it looks like a, a shift. It looks like the coming of a closure of a lot of a larger kind of energy. We could say maybe, yeah, about the past 10 years. Because, you know, also the, the, the eclipses will uh, be around the solstices once every nine years, uh, whether it's the North or South Node. If it's one, or the, if it's one then it's every uh, 19 years, roughly. If it's either or, it's about, you know, about every nine so in this sense, um, they're all aligning towards this kind of 10-year mark. And I would say definitely in terms of closure of what we've seen the past 10 years and the start of new energy for the next 10 years, very powerfully in that sense. 
Well, I want to ask your opinion of eclipses because what I did, and I'm not going to tell the whole story because I've told it way too many times. I basically filmed every kind of eclipse or transit across the sun that could be filmed for a long period of time, years. And I set out to do a single thing, film the moon going into a solar eclipse. It positively should be possible to do. NASA even tells you with some special eclipse it's possible, but nobody has, has evidence of it. So I set out to do that. It can't be done. I finally made my determination on the last full or the first full solar eclipse we'd had in a long time, August 21, 2017. I hope I have that right, where I took everything I had, big scopes, long throw lenses, full spectrum cameras, filter systems, light obliteration techniques. You cannot detect the moon. It's not there. The moon does not eclipse the sun. It's the nodes doing it. And it's demonstrable, but here's what I did. In my area, there was not a full eclipse. So when it was at its most extreme, as it would be for my viewing, a little past half covering the sun, maybe, I've been sun gazing for my life. So I took off my glasses and I stared into the sun for about, I don't know, a minute. It was the most chaos I think I've ever experienced in my life. And it was not good. And after I did it, I thought I shouldn't have done that. But I did do that, and I know what I know now. When you sun gaze on a normal day, it is empowering. It makes you feel like your eyesight is getting better. You are becoming healthy, energized, grounded. All these positive things I could say about a normal day of sun gazing. When you look at and don't do it, I would recommend. During an eclipse, if you do it, it is like these particles of light ricocheting, this chaos. It's not serene. It's not healthy. It's complete and utter dark chaos. So I wanted to ask you, Athen, what is your perception of, of a solar or any kind of eclipse? Basically, what we're saying is the lights being blocked when we say the word eclipse. I think it actually comes from the idea of consuming or eating it, like a dragon eating the sun or something. I don't remember the exact definition, but do you feel like a solar eclipse is positive in aspect or negative? Well, I think everything natural from that arrives positivity but it is definitely chaos i mean and and what you're referencing there is the hindu uh perspective of you know the, the, the head of the dragon for the north node or uh rahu and then the rahu, yeah ketu the tail for k2 and south node yeah so you know they described it like that like you know it is it is definitely chaotic time from the perception of consciousness from the perception of consciousness and yes we are conscious beings but we are also unconscious beings in the sense that we're spiritual. We're connected to the divine or the etheric realms. And that is what an eclipse is doing. And, and like you said, that's the definition. That's what we're seeing is an eclipse of conscious energy, which could be represented by the sun in this sense, right? And the moon's closer, right? So the moon represents more of the yin energy and more of the unconscious and spiritual energy. So that's, that's what it's supposed to be used for. Uh, a time of, you know, going into the chaos, as it were, meaning the unconscious, meaning the etheric realms, the endless, you know, soup of nothingness and everything, um, and then arising stronger on the other side, you know, so that's how consciousness gets reborn. And that's the thing you were saying too earlier about like a fear of death, like with Pluto and stuff. It's like, it's actually through death in a sense, not, not literally necessarily, but just, you know, facing our fears. And the death of things and endings of things in our life is where we see the new beginnings, you know, and that's what a solar eclipse symbolizes is a new beginning coming out of the 
somewhat attunement to the chaos. I wouldn't say conscious awareness of the chaos, because again, you can't be conscious of it, it just looks like chaos, but the attunement to it, to the spiritual energies, and then from that, a rebirth, right? A new beginning, new consciousness arising as the sun then gets uneclipsed, and then in a sense, comes out the other side, you know, metaphorically speaking, in that sense. Yeah, well, well said. Um, I guess I wouldn't recommend anyone to sun gaze during an eclipse because I don't know enough, but I know what I felt. But at the same time, it's ironic that that was the final eclipse where I had done everything possibly humanly possible with very damn good equipment that not that many people have access to, to include a full spectrum camera, that I walked away even after I'd stared into the sun, which I I feel like you get knowing. From normal sun gazing, I feel like it increases your knowing. Um, so who knows what I got? I wouldn't do it again. I'm not afraid of it, but it was chaos beyond description. But I walked away from that understanding beyond the shadow of doubt. And there's not many things in the world I know beyond the shadow of doubt. But I know beyond the shadow of doubt, the moon plays no role per se. It's not blocking the sun. That's not what's going on there. But there are so many things, Athen. Um, you know, look at the idea of the tides. To this day, I get emails all the time. Well, the moon controls the tides. No, it doesn't. Go, go look into it. Go look at the people who tried to prove that was true. Go look at Isaac Newton saying it is the most problematic part of the theories put forth in his period of time. And then do simple things in your mind, like, well, if there's tides every day, and by the way, the tides are not even. Some places have uh, six tides a day. But how is it that I can be at my beach here, see two tides a day, and I can walk a mile inland to a big honking pond and a stream, and there's no tides in those? Explain it. You can't. And so what I'm beginning to realize is the idea that the sun is electric and the moon is magnetic and that the ocean, hint, 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 is full of salt. What's that mean when you get electricity involved that we're starting to get closer to the idea of what makes these systems work? And again, if those are correct logical directions that we've traveled, uncovering the nonsense along the way, uh, why, why, is, why is every textbook making fun of the sky clock and telling us things that are untrue? And that leads us back to the problem at hand where we have people like you that are basically starting from ground zero, kind of, not all the way, to relearn everything uh, that was once known. Is there anything interesting about sidereally viewing the sky clock during, uh, as we went to the height of, of the power of the sun this year? Did you notice other events that were interesting? Okay, so those are the conjunctions. We also have Mars, the planet of initiative and drive and personal needs, uh, has recently entered Pisces, which is again, that watery ocean kind of energy. And so this has been about the past, I think almost a couple of months now, actually. Uh, but anyways, it's going to be a particularly long transit because Mars will go retrograde. And so we'll be in that constellation until about mid-January, which is particular, very, very long for this transit. So uh, I think it's going to be very important, as it has been past couple months and then throughout this time as we finish the year, to really be more receptive to just things. I mean, just everything in life, like be more receptive to where we're putting our energy. There's this, if we try to push too hard and like, you know, I want this and our egos get too attached or whatever, we're going to be lost at sea. It's really a year of listening. And I think for the rest of the year, doing that, listening to our intuition, being receptive, see where's the current of life going. Because there is, I do believe there is this etheric under the surface current of life 
And it's very important that we're attuned to that, especially during these kinds of times. So, you know, we're not swimming upstream, we're not fighting the current, and we're listening and, and putting energy towards the current throughout this time. So, you know, this could mean uncertainty, obviously, as we've seen, could mean doubt. But again, this is if we're trying to figure it out or we're trying to make something and get clear on something. It's more of, again, more yin energy time. I think that's going to play a huge role uh, moving forward. You know, and then also Jupiter has been conjunct Pluto. You know, that's been going on. We just had the second contact, I believe. So the next contact will be mid-November. So getting close to the end of the year as well, which has to do with really bringing Pluto energy to the surface. You know, our fears, attachments, same kind of thing there. So a lot's going to get exposed this year as it already has been. Again, this is great for bringing things to the surface in terms of truth and also empowering ourselves to spread truth and our perception on things. So I think that's a great way of working with the rest of the year as well. Diving deep, facing fears, especially it involves spreading truth or, or gaining new truth or, again, transforming our perspective and seeing the power of our perspective because our perspective really does determine our reality. And I think there's a big power play collectively to control the perception, which then leads us to our direction. So that's why it's so important to claim that own personal power and maintain our own perception and autonomy with that. And in this way, I think it's going to be a very, very constructive year for doing that. Those are the main events. Uh, there's some minor ones as well, but I think those are, the, you know, just keep everything nice and simple without throwing too much out there. I think those are the most important things to be aware of. Well, let's close out hour one with trying to invite people to get involved with the sky clock. And by the way, the reason I'm using the word sky clock is because I got tired of people in astronomy making fun of people in astrology, and I got tired of people in astrology making fun of people in astronomy. And both of those terms have so much baggage, I don't see a way to clean them. So I looked for a new way to describe this thing over our head, which is critically, critically important. So important that I often describe it as playing the music that we're all dancing to down here. But first off, if you want to get into something that is almost 90% of people are very interested once they look up and begin to know a few things, you can get freeware called Stellarium, and it shows you the night sky. And it is a heck of a tool to have. Even if you never go outside, it is so fun to see all the sky clock laid out and the constellations labeled and where the planets, so-called planets are. But anyone who wants to get involved with the sky clock now, here's what you can do. Go out and get a view of the southern sky. Not long after it gets dark, which for most people is 9 or 9.30, I don't know, around 9-ish. And the first big bright thing that's going to come from the east headed west is going to be Jupiter. It's going to almost, it, and it will be the brightest thing in the sky by far. Over way to the right, you're looking kind of southeast as it rises. Over the right, you'll see Antares. It's a very orange-red star, the heart of the scorpion. Very compelling star to see. But as Jupiter rises, right behind it will be Saturn. Maybe it'll look to your eyes about half as big, half as bright, and it will tend to a whitish, bluish, grayish as compared to the very bright Jupiter, which will tend towards maybe a hint of orange or yellow or something like that. But if you hang out and watch this until almost due south, those two major players are in, up higher and to the left, Mars, which is always a show, bright, orangey, red, flaming. And you can see these things in the sky now. 
So when you consider all the things that we're talking about and you look out your window and you see what, what's going on in our world right now, and we have Jupiter, Saturn, and Mars that you can detect with your eyes big time, all in the same field of view. And Athen just informed you that Pluto has been conjunct a couple times with the biggest one, Jupiter. This is what's going on in our world. And when more minds begin to observe the nature around them, to me, it frees us from the man-made systems that we get so burned out on. And you don't need to know things. You can just go out and observe and appreciate it. And I would urge people to do it. But anyhow, Jason, anything you want to get in before we begin to wrap up? Well, of course, we had to hold back. Hour one, censorship, you know. Let's see what we can uh, unleash for hour two that we couldn't get into here. Yeah, we can't talk about the corona of the sun, can we? No, we cannot. No, we cannot. And that should tell everybody something. So, Athen, anything you'd like to get into the end of hour one? And by the way, if you'd like people to be able to contact you, please give your contact information. Yeah, so uh, just to you know piggyback on what you just said, yeah, get these apps. Go outside, look at the visible sky. For those that are new to the work of True Sidereal, you know, if you're using mainstream astrology, those signs don't reflect, you know, the visible sky. So if you haven't yet, I would highly recommend, you know, getting one of these apps going up, visually looking and seeing where these luminaries are relative to the constellations. Super, super important. And then, yeah, masteringthezodiac.com uh, is where you can find my work, uh, YouTube videos, uh, readings for astrology readings, courses, uh, if you want to learn uh, astrology. And you can always contact me at athen at masteringthezodiac.com. All right, there it is. That brings hour one of episode 244 to a close. Join us on the other side. We really wanted to relate a lot more about what's going in the world. But by the 50th time you've said beer bug, everybody's like, I've had enough. Uh, on the other side, we speak freely. We're not harming anyone. But apparently, if you talk about the corona of the sun right now, they're going to shut you down. And I have videos to prove it. Not even kidding. So join us at crow777radio.com, CRR. OW777radio.com. That is the only real crow site in the world. There are two fraud sites, which from what I understand are about to get smacked finally. But join us on the other side where we can open up and relate what we want to relate to. We want to talk about what's going on in our world now. We want to be able to call nonsense where we detect nonsense. And unfortunately, as the Dave J episode that I just aired showed, we can't do that on YouTube. Because somewhere the mind police think they have authority. And I'm here to tell you, mind police, you got no authority over me and you never will. So there it is, man. Join us on the other side at crow777radio.com. Cheers.
Belief is the enemy of knowing. Come.